Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. right today's my first day back from vacation peak the tan uh but lebron is still enjoying his summer now usually i don't tell athletes to stay in their lane but brian he jumped into the dj booth at a miami club and played ymca so what you're hearing is a cheap knockoff of what he's playing what made this so bad though is he went from french montana's unforgettable to ymca that's a party foul Somebody should have bumped the DJ table like he was Bilal in House Party. Anyway, as well as, as we all know, rather, LeBron's best talent is playing basketball. And now we know where he and all the notable NBA stars will be playing this season. That's right. It's NBA schedule release day. It was just released moments ago. And here's some of the dates that you need to circle on your calendar. DeMarcus Cousins will make his trip back to Sacramento on October 26th. Paul George going back to Indy on December 13th. Chris Paul returning to L.A. against the Clippers January 15th. And Jimmy Butler going back to the Bulls in February. Now, purely for speculation purposes, the Cavs play the Lakers and Staples on March 11th. Maybe LeBron James, while he's there, he can perhaps pick out his locker for next season. I kid, I kid. But not really, because a lot of people are making a lot of noise about this tweet. So LeBron James, he wished Magic Johnson a happy birthday today. Happy birthday to my fellow Spartan as well. And that brought out all the NBA conspiracy theorists. LeBron tweeted, happy birthday, Magic. And one of the few that's always shown love for me from day one. Thank you. Enjoy your day. (laughs) Magic, of course, thanked him, saying he appreciated the love. Tampering. Uh oh. Michael Lee. Uh oh. Joining me now to engage, of course, in this. One a few, though, LeBron? One a few? That's what I said. One a lot of people was was capable of of early. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. All right. That was a little bit of a stretch. But again, it's part of this, what I feel like will be a season long speculation of LeBron to the Lakers. Are you giving this, I mean, is it a thing? Are you giving this some real possibility here? Look, I've been about this LeBron to LA life for a long time. I have. Clippers or Lakers? L.A., just, okay, right? just L.A., L.A. Right? right? Because I know for a fact that LeBron and his team, his business team, and those around that circle are preparing for a move to Los Angeles in the near future. I know that for a fact. Ooh. I originally thought, though, that he was going to go to the Clippers and play for Chris Paul. Excuse me, play with Chris Paul, right? Some, some people who will play with Chris Paul you know what feel I mean? like it's a poor situation. Some things have changed. Mm. So not only is Chris gone to Houston because he didn't like the way Clippers were doing things, but now Magic is running the Lakers because the Bucs brothers were tripping and Jeannie told him to get out. Right. So now LeBron is there looking at Magic Johnson's like, oh, now the Lakers situation is different than it was a few months ago. So yes, I'm all about it because Magic has an, a way of bringing greatness together. LeBron thinks he can do that alongside Magic Johnson and Lonzo Ball. Some other pieces have to fall into place clearly. Heck, Chris Paul could come back and play for the Lakers, actually. Right. So, yes, I'm about him going to L.A., and it looked right now, it looked like it would be the Lakers. Yeah, look, I, I've been saying this since they got Magic Johnson. He just brought them, uh, him, the combination of him and Jeannie Buss, just a level of credibility yes. that they hadn't had in a couple years. And seeing how they work things in the draft, 
seeing how that when Paul George was available, they didn't do anything. They didn't feel rushed or panicked. They didn't go out and get him. Uh, They seem to be taking their time and trying to engage in a long-term plan, which even if they don't get LeBron next year, they're still in in a pretty good position. They could possibly add two major free agents next year. They have some young uh, talent, uh, a good core. So I think it's a real thing. And I think LeBron, he wants to, A, play in L.A., as you said. He's got his production company out there. He's doing more with movies and television series. I think he just feels like that that would be uh, just an advantageous, advantageous move, not only just for him as a basketball player, but him as a whole and complete person as he, as he tries to build himself or, or continues to build himself into a mogul. And to be associated with that brand in that town matters to oh, a guy who's about brand image. And the LeBron image, it's, it's good by itself, but it's the things you attach to it that makes it even bigger. Attaching the Lakers in L.A. to your brand is very, very smart. Okay, speaking of that brand, the Lakers, they had 14 national telecasts last year. This year, they've got 23. Hmm. All right, Lonzo Ball, part of the Lakers hype. Are we already being overhyped, or are we already overhyping, rather, the Lakers? Because they're young, but they yes. don't have LeBron yet. Okay? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> because look, Lonzo Ball is a very special talent. There's no question about that. Even James Worthy said he's the best talent the Lakers have had since Magic Johnson, which I thought was a little puzzling because dudes that are forgetting about Kobe all of a sudden right. with five titles, but and nonetheless. Underrate Magic Johnson yes, all of a sudden. Right. Okay. I understand what James is trying to say. He's trying to add to that hype as well. But they do have a good core of young players, Jamel, as you said. But it's a core of young players. It's not a core of veteran all-stars. So for them to get the shine right now, it's more about the league investing in Lonzo Ball to get this attention early and then cover them through the next couple of years as they get good and those fans stay with them. But you also have magic there. And so, like, all right, Jeannie, you did so well getting this team back to respectability. Here's some more games. Put you on national TV. Yeah, no, and, and look, the Lakers, even sometimes when they're at their worst, not sometimes, they're still a name. They're still a big draw. I said it, especially once Chris Paul left the Clippers. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, the Clippers, you're back to being irrelevant. Correct. Just that quickly. You're absolutely right. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike, for coming in and no joining doubt. me. I really appreciate it. My team's right. better than yours, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The biggest uh, point is the league getting rid of four games and five nights. That's a big part of the schedule. There are none in 2017-18 season. After 23 instances last year, the league has also cut down on back-to-backs with an average of just over 14 per team. And with that, we welcome in noted NBA rest expert Tom Haverstrow. Uh, the NBA wanted to compromise with the players on scheduling, particularly, as I just mentioned, cutting down on back-to-backs. How would you grade how the NBA's attempt at meeting the players' scheduling concerns? How do you think they did? I'm giving them a passing grade on this one. I was really impressed. If you look at the, the nuts and bolts of this schedule, the big thing that, that stands out to me is none of the ABC games for the Golden State Warriors this year are coming in a back-to-back. And that's huge because last year, as you remember... You know, Steve Curry, he rested Steph Curry, he rested Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, and that came on a back-to-back, and that was his big thing was, hey, if you're going to play my games in a marquee game, make sure that they're going to be well-rested and not going to be traveling, you know, eight games in nine in nine different cities in that long road trip. So Steve Kerr, last year, four in four of their five ABC games were in back-to-back sets. In this season alone, they have zero back-to-back sets in their six ABC games, and there are 22 marquee games that the NBA protected to make sure those teams are fully rested on Christmas Day, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and in the opening week. So big kudos to 
to the NBA for, for compromising with the league union on that. Yeah, maybe we won't spend so much of the NBA season talking about who's resting, who's not resting. Maybe we're finally past all that. Okay, getting all the minutiae out of the way, what games, Tom, are you personally, what games do you have circled on your calendar? I mean, I'm looking at Gordon Hayward uh, coming back to Utah because I find it interesting. He had an extension with Utah and spent an extra four years after his rookie deal. Uh, I wonder if they're going to boo him. It's not going to be a good look for a small market team uh, to boo a guy like Gordon Hayward for leaving um, because, you know, a lot of teams are, or a lot of players are going to want to play for Utah and looking at do they respect their players for all that they've done for the franchise. And, you know, the guy for an all-star to get booed in the year after that, that'd be a tough look. But I'm also looking at March 11th, uh, Lonzo Ball and LeBron James. I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun. And look, the guy Lonzo Ball did something has never been done in the summer league. Triple-double has never been done in the Summer League, and he did it three times. So the hype is real on that, dude. I can't wait to watch every game of his next season. Yeah, same here. And I also can't wait to see him play against some of uh, those players that his father had a lot of interesting opinions about. Uh, Thanks, Tom, so much for joining us. Since we were just talking about the Warriors a moment ago, I know no one is surprised by this, but the Warriors are the team that has the most games on ESPN Network's next season, while the Rockets will have the second most. Golden State's ABC schedule, as Tom mentioned, has plenty of good games as they face Houston, Boston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and Minnesota, and apparently they'll be rested. Joining us now, Warriors reporter Chris Haynes. Welcome to the Six. Now, Steve Kerr, he called one stretch of the Warriors' schedule last February the most insane he had ever seen. How do you think the league did in terms of addressing his frustrations? Well, I think obviously they cleared that up. And that stretch Steve Kerr was talking about last year, it was down the stretch of the February going into, going into March where the Warriors played eight different teams in eight different cities in 13 days. And then at the end of that road trip, that's when Steve Kerr sat all of his stars for that marquee game against the San Antonio Spurs. Now, obviously, like Tom mentioned, the league has addressed those ABC games where they're not playing. It's not going to be a second game of a back-to-back for them. So Steve Kerr and the Warriors have to be feeling pretty good. And I actually text some players about the schedule, and I asked them what were their thoughts, basically. And the consensus that I got back from was, we're going to get a lot of rest. That should bode well for everybody. So it looked like it's a win-win for everybody involved. All right, Chris, putting you on the spot a little bit. So what's the game you're most forward to seeing uh, with the Warriors? Me personally, January 20th, Golden State at Houston. The reason I say that game is Daryl Morey, the general manager for the Rockets, he went all out. While a lot of teams are just going to try to wait out the Golden State Warriors dynasty, Rockets went out there and went out, went out there for Chris Paul. Got him. We don't know if it's going to work, but he's putting all his eggs in the bag and want to see what happens. Then he went aggressively after Andre Iguodala. I'm going to have a story about that later on in the week about how he went about that approach. And he almost had him. But I, I will say this, is that the Rockets are still not done, obviously, in the Carmelo sweepstakes. So that's another reason why I'm saying that game is going to have a lot to do as far as how we view supremacy in the Western Conference. And Chris, I just want you to know you've officially joined the dark side. You just promoted your own story from a week from now. That is some TV savvy right there, my man. Way to do that. <laughs> but thank yeah. you so much for joining I took, us. I took my swing. Uh, see, that you have to shoot your shot, right? 2017. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you joining us. All right, on to some NFL. Ezekiel Elliott is expected to file an appeal to a six-game suspension for domestic violence 
Tuesday. But in the meantime, his father, Stacy took to Twitter to defend his son. He posted a screen grab from a Fort Worth Star Telegram story, which highlighted evidence Elliot's camp plans to present at appeal, which includes proof of repeated threats by the accuser to ruin Ezekiel Elliott's career if he broke off the relationship. And with that, welcoming in NFL insider Lewis Riddick. This has been a very, obviously, messy uh, story for a lot of different reasons. The suspension stands at six games. But how likely, given this new evidence, is the NFL to reduce this suspension? Well, Jamil, I mean, there is some precedent, obviously, right? As far as going back in the past, looking at Ben Roethlisberger's situation, Greg Hardy's situation, where four seems to be the magic number, right? I mean, Ben had his suspension reduced from six to four. Greg had his suspension reduced from ten to four. In this situation, though, look, at some point in time, the NFL really has to kind of kind of weed out the ambiguity with this rule right now and at some point in time take a hard-line stance and say, look, this is collectively bargained that we can go ahead and mete out this punishment as we see fit. We don't need law enforcement to help us out here. We don't need, need law enforcement to go ahead and take the lead. We can take the lead. Now, President, obviously, the player's going to feel like it's on his side. The league needs to establish some credibility, though, as far as, look, we take domestic violence serious, whether or not you've been charged with the crime or not. So, I, you know what? I, I kind of err on the side of saying, you know what, I think the league is going to try and be very hard line against this, because considering that the commissioner or someone that he designates is going to hear the appeal anyway, because I think he needs to s- somehow send a message to the rest of the league and to the rest of the players that, look, we take this very seriously. This is not the same old story as it used to be in the past, but who knows? I mean, like, precedent, again, is on the player's side as far as maybe four being that magic number. Well, here's my problem and, frankly, my discomfort with this entire suspension. When you read over... Uh, obviously the NFL's letter, what we know to be some of the facts of the case Mm -hmm. um, from the uh, law enforcement authorities that tried to figure out what happened. Uh, This is not clear cut and dry. And look, I've done a lot of writing, reporting, commentary on domestic violence. So you don't need to convince me about how serious an issue that this is in in our country. And I I guess I'm with you. Like, you don't always need an arrest or a conviction uh, to figure out um, guilt or innocence, especially by the NFL. But it just feels like this. A lot of this feels like a makeup call because there are some credibility questions with this evidence and some credibility questions with the NFL's investigations. They're not to be trusted, frankly. There is no question that it feels like a makeup call. And look, we already know that the league for a long time has been playing catch up. They have been very reactionary. Now they're trying to be proactive and get out ahead of things. And you know what? It obviously it makes a lot of people call into question just how genuine their concern is for this issue, whether it be just with the just with the players in the National Football League or society as a whole. This has always been something that people have accused the NFL of being very disingenuous about. And that you know that now they're going to shoot very far, very extreme as far as handing out punishment initially. And quite honestly, if they really want to be taken seriously, then they'll stand by what they ruled based on what they say that they found out, regardless of whether or not we feel as though there are credibility issues, which there are some that, you know, you can obviously call into question here. They need to take a hard line here because if they start reducing suspensions again here, then, then, then what was all the work that you did beforehand anyway? What was it for? Right. Really, what was it for at that point in time? And why did it take so long for you then to, to have... You know, Ezekiel Elliott and his team come in and say, well, look, we have some new evidence that maybe you should hear. Well, maybe you should have did your due diligence a little bit better in the first place. Right. Well, they went from with Josh Brown not being able to access any documents to all of a sudden everything just kind of unfolding. It's just kind of sometimes hard to trust them. Uh, Another big NFL topic. uh, If you thought Colin Kaepernick's unemployment might deter the players from engaging in a national anthem protest, you were wrong. Marshawn Lentz, he sat for the national anthem 
anthem on Saturday night before the Cardinals game. And yesterday, Michael Bennett not only sat for the anthem against the Chargers, he says he plans to sit all season. Here's Bennett explaining why and Roger Goodell's response. Well, everything that's been going on the last couple of months, and especially after the last couple of days, seeing everything in um, Virginia, seeing what's going on out there, and earlier today in Seattle, um, just wanted to be able to use my platform to be able to continue to speak on injustice. First of all, I want to make sure people understand, I love the military. I love my father's in the military. I love, I love hot dogs like any other American. I love football like any other American, but I don't love segregation. I don't love riots. I don't love um, oppression. I don't love, love I love gender slander. And I just I just want to see people have the equality that they, that they deserve. The national anthem is a special moment to me. It's a it's a point of pride, and it's a, it's that is a really important moment. And I think, but we also have to understand the other side that you know people do have rights and we want to respect those. But there's, I was with the, the Jets a few weeks ago, and um, one of the players was there in, in a fan forum, actually. We were talking about this, and they were asked the same question. Uh, and they said, you know, there's a time and a place, and there's, that's, that's what we all have to sort of understand, the responsibility of doing it at the right time and in the right way. Interesting. Um, so, uh, look, Colin Kaepernick, we've seen what's happened to him. And ironically, it's the one-year anniversary of when he sat or started his national anthem protest. Now that you have Marshawn Lynch, Michael Bennett, the momentum, I think the thought was that the momentum would slow down, that somehow whatever message you thought Colin Kaepernick was sent by not uh, having a job so far in this NFL season or early parts of it, rather, that that was going to deter other players. Clearly, this has not been the case. So do you think that Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett, their stance might help Colin Kaepernick and his stance be viewed a little bit differently around the NFL? As far as Colin's stance, yeah, obviously I think it will keep it in the forefront of everyone's mind that, look, just because of what you're doing to Colin Kaepernick or what is happening to Colin Kaepernick, however you want to phrase it, doesn't mean that it has gone away and people have forgotten it. What's amazing to me, Jamel, though, is, is this, is that, look, the commissioner just said, you know, that you know, the national anthem is a very special moment to him, and it's something that he takes great pride in and, and that people said, you know, there's a time and a place. Well, where, when is the time and a place going to come? I'm for waiting the on things? somebody to put out a book called Protesting, How to, how to, correct, how to Correctly Protest. I'm well, you know what? Book. Forget even that part. You know, because, look, it's obviously a very polarizing issue. There's people mm-hmm. who fall on both sides of it. And it's quite honestly has split not only the sports community, but society in general right down the middle on this. I mean, and, and that's... That's troubling to me because, you know what, we're sitting here talking about whether or not it's okay for Michael Bennett to sit down or Marshawn Lynch to sit down or why Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. But we're not, and even we're still not talking about people who got killed in Charlottesville by a car screaming down the street. And why was it screaming down the street? Why at that point in time were those people who were protesting the protest, why were they mowed down? Why isn't that the subject here? Why? Because people really don't want to face something that's been going on for so long. When is the time and place going to come for that issue to directly be addressed with some kind of action that really, that really facilitates some kind of change? We're, 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 to me, we're not wasting time talking about Michael Bennett's style of protest because it's important, you know, and there's going to be people who fall on both sides of it. But see, I'm kind of a guy of, of action and of substance in terms of how are we going to really facilitate change? Why isn't that the message? Why isn't that what people are focusing on? 
Maybe is it because people don't feel like there is no way to change it because it's been going on for so long and it's going to keep going on because it keeps getting taught and keeps getting handed down from generation to generation to generation that, you know, what people just go, you know what? It's just the way it is. Is that what people think? So let's let's just focus the attention on, well, let's just sit here and bash Colin Kaepernick. Let's bash Michael Bennett. Let's those anti-American, you know, athletes. I mean, that's very that's very troubling to me. And it just seems like something like we're, we're just on a hamster wheel going around and around and around. And we've been going around and around for a long time. Yeah, and if you're more upset at Colin Kaepernick, Michael Bennett, or Marshawn Lynch about their method of protest than you are at what happened this weekend, that to me says a lot about it. It says you. everything. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, uh, yeah. Louis, for joining us now. You'll be back with us Absolutely. a little bit later. Uh, okay, some hopeful news to report. WWE Hall of Famer Ric Flair is out of surgery and resting, according to a statement from the organization. Uh, they didn't give details about the nature of Ric Flair's surgery, but he's one of the most colorful personalities in wrestling history. So let's hope for a speedy recovery. All right, now a lot of people are looking forward to seeing this fight, Mayweather, McGregor, but just not the person who joins me now here on The Six, Sports Nation's LZ Granderson, who wrote a piece for The Undefeated explaining why he won't be tuning in for this fight. So, LZ, break it down so it can forever be broke. Why are you choosing not to watch Mayweather? (laughs) Well, you know, it has more to do with how they promoted the fight than the actual fight itself. I think there is a a natural curiosity to see if a guy who's at the top of one game versus a guy at the top of the other, what would happen they would confront each other, kind of like the tiger versus the crocodile or something like that. I get that. But when you look at the press conferences and some of the racially insensitive remarks out of McGregor and then uh, the homophobic slur out of um, Mayweather, you know, you begin to ask yourself, you know, what are we doing here? Like, why do we need to have this sort of rhetoric in 2017 to sell a fight that can already sell itself? And so I, the piece is essentially about not those two guys as much as us, the viewer, the consumer of this fight. Like, why are we satisfied with them using uh, these insensitive remarks to sell a fight? Why are we still doing this? Now, as you know, um, LZ, it seems like in boxing in particular, uh, they've always used what I call racial pornography to sell fights. Now, at first, I was one of those people that you talked about in your piece who was all in on this fight. But as they began to get more personal, uh, lost a sense of decency, I started to feel bad about the fight uh, and watching it. So what do you say to those people like me who are still a little bit on the fence about it, not sure if we want to see it, curious about the spectacle uh, what would you say to people like myself? Well, one, I'm definitely not telling people not to watch the fight. That's not what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for us that if you're going to watch the fight, do it with your eyes wide open. Do it with the courage to say, I recognize that they're using this language and it's terrible. Don't tell me that they didn't say these things. Don't tell me that, oh, it really wasn't that racially insensitive or, or, you know, the F word isn't really a slur. Don't do that because then to me that's being a coward. But if you can embrace that and still say I'm going to watch this fight, that's fine. But then also, too, there was no greater smack talker than Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali later said he regretted the words that he used in regards to Joe Frazier, that he wished he hadn't done it, and that the only reason why he did it was to sell a fight. So if Muhammad Ali can go back and regret his words, then obviously that gives us all permission to look at what's happening in 2017 and ask ourselves, is this the best that we can do? You know, right now, happening right now, over the weekend, um, we're all saying America is better than this. This is an example that kind of shows, well, maybe we're not better than this because we're still willing to accept this sort of rhetoric just to sell a fight. 
Well, that leads right into what I want to get your opinion on next. You mentioned the events of this weekend, obviously the horrible tragedy uh, that took place in Charlottesville. A lot of different athletes are speaking out against white supremacy. We even have LeBron James not only speaking out about white supremacy, but speaking out in particular against uh, the president. It's sad as he tweeted what's going on in Charlottesville. Is this the direction this country is headed? Uh, Make America great again, huh? He said that. You also had Nats closer Sean Doolittle. He wrote several uh, several tweets, including this one. Uh, it's 2017. Actual Nazis just marched on Charlottesville. We have to come together and drive this hatred and domestic terrorism from our country. Um, and then other people on the opposite end of the spectrum. Jermichael Friendly, who wrote, athletes are looked up to and serve as role models, leave personal opinions about race and politics alone, do what you get paid to do and play. Uh, but of course, uh, Chris Long, the Long family, uh, they also have clearly a connection to that area and a, con- a connection to Virginia. Here's what Chris Long had to say about the violence in his hometown. I mean, listen, like the way I feel one day, because my hometown is in turmoil, um, you know, I'm not the victim here. You know, the victims are people that are, you know, that suffer from the consequences of white supremacy in our country. Um, people that actually watch that on TV and are minorities and might not feel like they can be safe with, with stuff like that going on. So, um, yeah, it pisses you off, but I can only imagine actually being a victim of that. Now, LZ, all this is happening on what is the one-year anniversary of when Colin Kaepernick decided uh, to have his national anthem protest. But what happened this weekend, and obviously hearing what a bunch of different athletes had to say, uh, is what happened in Charlottesville, again, another watershed moment for sports and for athletes and activism? You know, I don't necessarily uh, believe in watershed moments. I think it's a, it's a constant drip, 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 drip. Um, if we look for the magic bullet or if we look for, you know, watershed moments to make everything flip, we're going to keep looking. All we can help hope for is that athletes and anyone else with a voice continue to work away at this centuries-long problem, which is the racial divide. And the only thing I would say in terms of, you know, what the Long brothers have said is that, yes, it is true that white supremacy uh, seems to be directed at minority communities, but it's a sickness that affects all of us. You know, I like to talk about the Chris Rock joke that it wasn't black people that came a long way. It was white people that came a long way, that black people always knew we were 100 percent human. It was white people that took that finally figured that out. And the same thing goes with white supremacy. It, it is an issue that seems to oppress minorities. But I would argue that it also oppresses white people as well, because it prevents us from being able to be the type of country we all aspire to be. Right now, America is better than this. It's just a lofty goal. What we wanted to make it is a fact. But the only way to make it a fact is to accept the fact that racism, just like sexism, homophobia, and all these other ills impact all of us, whether you think we're directly impacted or not. And in regards to Colin Kaepernick, I would also just add that if you're one of those individuals that tweeted or hashtag America is better than this, this is exactly what Colin Kaepernick was saying a year ago when he started his protest. He wasn't saying he hated police officers or the military. He said there is a racial sickness in this country and that he can no longer pretend as if it is not there. That's what his protest was about. So if you felt that the issues that is being addressed right now in the country are separate from Colin Kaepernick, you're wrong. They are definitely connected.
And it doesn't matter if you dribble a basketball or throw a football uh, or wear a jersey, you're impacted from it, too, because for some reason people have this idea that because you play sports and you might make millions of dollars, that somehow shields you from racism, racial oppression and all the other ills uh, that you mentioned. Um, but thank you so much, uh, LZ, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And make sure everyone you check out his article on The Undefeated. Tonight, we have the first game of the four-game home-and-home Subway Series. Mets, Yankees from the stadium, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Also streaming live on the ESPN app. Let's welcome in someone who is right there on the scene, Jessica Mendoza, who's calling the game tonight. Let's start off uh, with the Yankees, Jessica, who dropped eight of their last 12 contests in August. Aaron Judge, first half, he looked like an MVP, but he's only hit 158 in that span. So first half, Aaron, or second half, Aaron, who is the real Aaron Judge? Yeah, it's somewhere in between. I mean, let's face it, Jamal, he was a superhuman in the first half, showing ridiculous numbers and the potential of, of really his ceiling. But he also isn't the guy that he's showing right now. You mentioned his numbers and how much he has struggled. This is a guy that is somewhere in between. And right now, it's just a matter of him being more selective. That sounds so easy to do, but high fastballs have been his Achilles heel the last few weeks. We saw it last night against the Red Sox. Pitchers are clearly, who are they going to circle in this Yankees lineup? It's going to be Aaron Judge. They have a plan for attack. They found a weakness. Right now, it's fastballs up high in the zone, but he will adjust. This is a guy that's definitely somewhere between the superhuman and the guy he's showing right now. All right, let's talk about another big-time star in the sport. Over the weekend, Bryce Harper injured uh, after slipping on a wet base pad. There's been a lot of conversations about Major League Baseball and maybe needing to step in and make uh, things safer, not just from a base pad standpoint, but also in terms of addressing these rainouts and what they're putting players through. Is a near injury to one of their biggest stars enough to get Major League Baseball to act on behalf of player safety. Well, I think you hit it on the head. The fact that it's Bryce Harper is the reason why this has created so much attention. He is not the first injury even this season. Of course, it's more dramatic because of the way he fell, the fact that he is one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in the sport right now. And so the fact that he had this injury brought attention because it was the rain, the fact that the base was slippery. But this is what happened with Buster Posey when he got blown up and he had a big injury. Big names create change. And I think with Bryce Harper, there's at least going to be some attention made to whether bases are going to have a little bit more of a rough surface when there is rain, making sure that all the surfaces are able, especially for the stars to play. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jess, and enjoy the game. Hopefully it's a good one. Thanks, Jamal. All right, time to go hard in the paint, and my man Lewis Riddick is back. Lewis, you're an expert at this. This is why I needed you. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was doing some Odell Beckham Jr. things, but Ben McAdoo wasn't exactly impressed. He said he prefers two hands on the ball after practice, that he knows what the inside of a locker looks like. So you judge it. How impressive was this one-hander? Look, I'm, I'm no expert on stuff like that, you know. <laughs> Look, I don't know what kind of glove technology they got nowadays, but that's just sick. Yeah. That's right. sick. Simple as that. Okay, we'll give you more to consider. Uh, check out this one by Bills Whiteout, Brandon Tate, yesterday at practice. Better? Look, these guys, you know what? No, because you know what? It's the way, the way Odell caught his. He caught his actually coming down on the football. Yeah. He didn't cup it. He came down and snatched that I thing. I think the so degree bro. of difficulty was definitely with Odell. No question. All right, another one. But that's still nice, though. Brandon Cooks. Already, I, this just is so unfair. Why should the Patriots be blessed with that kind of weapon? Brandon Cooks. How, I mean, how big is he going to be Look, for this you, Patriots offense? You know the fantasy football marathon is coming up, right? I do, and you're and we, That's one of the people we're going to talk about right there. Wow. Don't think just because he's in the Patriots office, he's not going to get his. He's going to get plenty of it. All right, and then, of course, you have uh, Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins. We'll talk about Deshaun Watson in a second. 
Look, I, a I little see, bit of a preview for the future. I scouted DeAndre back at Clemson. He's been doing this for a long time. This kid's got crazy hands, crazy ball skills. Some of the best hand-eye coordination you'll ever see. Just don't have a whole lot of speed. I don't know if it's just our imagination because we run them as highlights a lot, but it seems like it's more one-handed catches than I ever remember in my years of watching that. Well, I'm telling you, though, glove technology has gone crazy. It's gone through the roof. I wish they would have had them because I had terrible hands. <laughs> All right. might have been still in the league a little longer. Yeah. Uh, look, let's talk about a, a pair of rookie quarterbacks. Bears rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky, 18 to 25 for 166 yards in his debut. John Fox compared his debut to Tim Tebow's. <laughs> How is Mitchell Trubisky supposed to take that? Look, I know John Fox. John Fox recruited me in college and signed me to go to the University of Pittsburgh. And, John, come on now. <laughs> don't compare that I to mean, Tim Tebow. I guess no dis- saying don't get too excited. Right, and that's no disrespect <laughs> to Tim because Tim's a great competitor. But, look, Mitch did some things the other night, him and Deshaun Watson, and a lot of these young rookie quarterbacks that lead you to believe that maybe the quarterback position isn't in the kind of ba- – isn't in as bad of shape as maybe we think it is. Because that was and, the wrap on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators, and head coaches are getting smarter and smarter about – how to bring these guys along with less practice time, less meeting time in the offseason than ever before. Look, Mitch right now, it's inevitable he's going to start. If, mm. I, if I'm the Chicago Bears, look, I'm already thinking within that first month, at the very least, the first quarter of the season, he's starting, if not sooner. He's too good. That's why you drafted him second over. Second overall, that's why you take this guy. And maybe they did the smart thing by sort of lowering expectations, by making it seem as if uh, Mitchell Trubisky was going to spend most of this year holding a clipboard. Sure. And now everybody's wild, and it's preseason, it's vanilla oh. off, vanilla defenses, and I get that. But it was hard not to be impressed yeah. given what we kind of heard and knowing his lack of experience well, in college. Number one, those plans always sound good in January, February, March, when you think you're going to be able to get a guy like this and just sit him. But, look, if he had gone out, Jamel, and played bad and didn't show the kind of efficiency and all the things that you knew he should be able to do well, if he had showed bad in those situations, we'd be crushing him. Right. And that, see, right now, Mitch did exactly what if I'm sitting there in the front office and I'm Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Chicago Bears, I'm going, yeah. Yep, this that's is, exactly this is why, why I did it. So all y'all, just hold up. <laughs> hey, that's why you have to do things with conviction. Real yeah. quick, going to ask you about the other rookie quarterback you mentioned, Deshaun Watson. He had a, a spectacular mm-hmm. debut as well. Is it just a matter of time before we see him as a starter? I, I think that one may take or sooner a, rather it, than later. I right, I, I think that one may take a little bit longer because Tom Savage, I believe, is playing very well. But he was nine of eleven, I believe, the other night for the Texans, and someone who really understands Bill O'Brien's offense. But Deshaun Watson, again, same thing, showed all the things that you were hoping you would get when you drafted him out of Clemson. Tremendous poise, tremendous athleticism, tremendous off-schedule playmaking ability. And you can just tell when he's in the football game, players just kind of look at him like, yeah, that's our, that's our guy. Mm-hmm. We have to raise our level. And that's why you draft guys like this in, you know, 12th overall. That's why you pick players like this. And Tom Savage, as much as I love him, he's a pit man just like me. Your days are numbered. Yeah, well, a lot of people, I think, are going to regret the fact that they passed on Deshaun Watson sure. because everything was literally right in front of That's their right. face. All right, thanks, Lewis. I appreciate you, you hanging out with me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no such thing as doing too much if you're Taylor Twellman. No. See, he's just the boss. Most interesting man at ESPN. No <laughs> he's going to join me no for socks. some shenanigans in the doing too much. Two-month vacation, Jamel. <laughs> Two-month vacation. on those ankles. <laughs> Don't have some on TV with ashy ankles, Taylor. <laughs> I'm going to talk about you. So, Jameis' left tackle, Donovan Smith, admitted that he's never seen The Lion King or Aladdin. Okay. Is, is there a popular movie you have never seen? I've never seen Toy Story. That's what you're going with? Is a popular movie? Is Toy Story? Yeah, like every... I've never seen Start to Finish Braveheart. What? I said it. That's far more Braveheart. egregious. That's far more never. egregious. 
Well, in fairness, I haven't seen Shawshank Redemption either, but... You're lying, just, right? Just, You're lying. Come on. No, I know that's your favorite movie. It is. I, in all seriousness, from start to finish, I've never seen Braveheart. What? Yep. This is... You like... I just lost my man card on this, but... I you like getting gladiator, right? I love Gladiator. Okay. Well, it's the a long scene time. in Braveheart is amazing. I haven't seen it start to finish. Can we move on to something no, else? I'm, like soccer? There you go. Yes. Look at you Thank doing you. my transition Finally, the only reason why I'm here. <laughs> What's up with your boy Ronaldo? Band five games, pushing a ref. They well, won, but still. It, it's still, it's the unwritten rule in baseball. I get it. Listen, I have no problem with the suspension, right? So in soccer, you don't touch the official. Mm-hmm. The problem is, did he really push him? Did he really get after it? Are you seriously going to use that? As well, he, did he really? The law says it could be anywhere from 4 to 12 games. So in seriousness, he could have been suspended 12. The reality for me is I blame the statue. Because whoever created <laughs> that statue has cursed Ronaldo since. He's had hamstring injuries. He's not paying taxes. He's going to jail potentially. That statue has ruined his mystique. And his mojo. All I know is that he made $93 million last year. Um, Jordan Speed, uh, he gave his good friend Justin Thomas. This was like you and I oh. before the show, wasn't it? Nope. Doing too much already? Just already. Uh, why are you trying to break up my happy home? My anyway, <laughs> at least that's better than when Speed, he gave a little interesting shot to his caddy. Uh, this is too far. This, this is too far. This You're is- getting ready to celebrate a major... Now his caddy, Michael Greller, he can't, he's got to sit down. He's got to bring his knees to his chest. Is that, he's uncomfortable. What is it with you guys in that? Like, y'all do that as some kind of bonding? Yeah, yeah well, I, I don't mind a good butt tap. I'm not going to lie to you. It gives I you a good a a little tap. mojo. I mean, like, you other, came into the show, I don't, the other one to I mean, me is just uncomfortable. All right, uh, he big man Hassan Whiteside found a dead parrot in his yard, so he launched a CSI-like investigation and put it on his Snapchat for us to, of course, enjoy who killed this parrot? I gotta do some CSI work. We got no blood markers on the wall. Oh, jeez. Y'all see what happened? Tony, who did this? You see anything? You plead the fifth? I say that then. Man, I should have known better than to go ask the OGs. They ain't giving up no good names. Roscoe. Roscoe, you see anything? Nah. I say that. Come here. Come here. We got to run her. We got to run her, y'all. So something similar happened to me. Uh, when sure. I lived in Orlando, sure. I found a dead rat in my glove compartment. Sure. In your glove compartment? Yes. Wait, elaborate more. Okay. So I, this awful smell was coming from my car, and I couldn't figure it out. And I opened my glove compartment. In the new ride? No, not no the new chance. ride. No chance. No, not the no new chance. one. In the old ride. This is why Snapchat was created, though, it's for stuff like this. <laughs> he said, I'll try my best. I got two key witnesses, oh, a white koi fish <laughs> and a bulldog. That's all I can speak on. The bulldog isn't messing with the parrot, I'll tell you that much. But that's a little suspect. I still don't know how that rat got in my glove What is the real question? Was he doing too much? Speaking of too much, listen, are, are we really talking about, about my co-host? With me. Yes. yes. Selfies. What we is are. this? He a picture he of his five head? He said, like, put the whole face in there, my man. Michael, if you're going to take a selfie, at least give me a text. Is out there I can guide you a little bit. And Aspen, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I thought the Rockies were rockier than that, he, Michael. I talked you don't know that movie, but carry on. <laughs> I told, uh, I talked to him earlier. 
He said he was taking bad selfies on purpose. <laughs> oh, sure he was. That's his excuse. That is, Andy used Boomerang on Instagram. He's having a shocker <laughs> in Aspen. Well, since you're the ESPN selfie king. Naturally. What's the key? That right there. So you see the full head, you get a little bit of the tie, <laughs> you get the microphone, you get the name of the stadium backwards. That Don Johnson is jealous of that picture right there. No joke. Taylor, yes. I wish I loved anything as much as you love taking I'm a selfie right of now, yourself. That may be my favorite one. Lola's looking <laughs> no, that, that one is dope. That's on fire. All right, a little double dose of hard in the paint. Looks like James Harden has been going hard in the gym. Hard. Wow. In China. Swole. It's called filters, Jamel. <laughs> filters on Instagram. Instagram's muscles. got filters for everything. And you really I, believe that, James Harden? I do believe it. And I appreciate seeing taco meat, and it's not even Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, uh, Taylor. Today's been, a good day because you just said taco meat. Uh, it's been a good day, so we're going to tell you who else had a good day. How about my colleague, Claire Smith, being recognized at the Yankees-Mets game tonight for receiving the J.G. Taylor Spink Award two weeks ago. She threw out the first pitch. I would agree with that. Today is also a good day because in about eight, seven seconds on ESPN2, 28 hours straight of fantasy football. You and I are hanging out for 28 hours. We are? 28 hours. We're going to watch every. I'll bring the beer. You're, you're in charge of food. I am? We can invite anyone else? Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. bring. 28 hours. I won't bring Fantasy hummus, football. There's zero chance I'm hanging out with her for 28 hours. <laughs>